This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 27th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. When a company admits to breaking the law and signs a deal with the feds, they pay a fine. They make anyone they misled or cheated whole, and they agree to cease the offending behavior. That's at least how it's supposed to work. Cato's Will Yateman says a new kind of agreement that offending companies have been compelled to sign off on includes doing things for the government that politicians would like but can't get Congress to agree. It's called leverage policymaking. Leverage policymaking was an unfortunate innovation in executive power during the Obama administration. Um, What I mean by that term is that the government would use an individualized transaction. So typically a settlement agreement or a licensing proceeding against a big corporation in order to achieve wider results than the underlying violation or the underlying subject matter before the government and the, the corporation in question. Um, I think of it, the, the analogy metaphor I use in my mind is that of a carjack, um, where the individual transaction is the jack itself and the government is leveraging it in order to you know, support the weight of, of the car and thereby achieve greater influence. Okay, so the the idea is that uh, some company violates the uh, federal law or some federal regulation, and in addition to agreeing to stop doing that or pay whatever uh, duly authorized fines uh, there are, they agree in addition to give money or support or airtime to what? They come in a number of varieties. So what you explained, one type, um, and an example will make this clear. So uh, uh, the Obama administration, the president in his 2011 State of the Union promised to put one million electric vehicles on the road. Uh, to that end, he asked Congress for $300 million. Congress said no. Five years later, as part of his 21st uh, transportation, uh, 21st century transportation initiative, Obama again asked um, for monies for for electric vehicle infrastructure from Congress. Congress again said no. So then in the summer of 2016, in the wake of Volkswagen's defeat device scandal, um, the Department of Justice, the Environmental Protection Agency, and Volkswagen reached a settlement that included, among other items, $1.2 billion to be spent on electric vehicle infrastructure, which is more than the administration had asked from Congress to begin with. Um, So that's an example of an enforcement action leading to this leverage policymaking of the sort I'm talking about. In lieu of receiving authorization from Congress to spend this money, uh, tell executive branch enforcement uh, agents attorneys to extract uh, an equivalent or higher amount of money from the private sector that we all agree has violated something and then get the money that way. Indeed. In this particular type of what I deem leverage policymaking, um, it, it is just that. So in, in the Volkswagen example, no one disputes Volkswagen's culpability with that defeat device scandal. I mean, they were very much at fault. But what I find troublesome about the resulting settlement was that the government at the bargaining table can basically say, hey, you're liable for, I think it was $60 billion worth of fines under the Clean Air Act. How about instead of you paying that, you fund this pet project of our administration that Congress has rejected the, the appropriations for multiple times in the past. So that's the sort of a, 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 a transactional element that I object to. 
Again, that's only one type of, of these leverage policymaking. Um, the other one um, would be uh, licensing agreements. And, and uh, the, here, the, the kind of marquee example is net neutrality and the FCC. Um, and, and so net neutrality, this ultra divisive policy over whether or not uh, Internet service providers should um, be allowed to discriminate or price discriminate. Um, regardless of the nuance of that issue, just know that it's a big deal, very divisive, and that during the Obama administration, Congress had considered and deliberated on multiple net neutrality bills, but they didn't pass any. Um, so that's why it was troublesome when the Federal Communications Commission, using its authority, its redundant authority, to approve mergers among telecommunications. And as an aside, I say redundant because the Department of Justice already has antitrust authority over such mergers. I mean, it's a, a FCC's role here is duplicative. Um, long story short, twice in 2011 and 2016 uh, for mergers for big telecommunic telecommunications companies, uh, FCC conditioned its approval upon these companies voluntarily adopting net neutrality. Um, these mergers result in entities that serve millions of consumers. So in effect, there's no real difference between um, what the FCC was able to achieve through these licensing conditions, um, you know, the uh, approval conditions for these mergers, um, and what the Congress could have achieved via legislation. So that would be the other type of example of this leverage policymaking that I, I discussed. Okay, so uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, which is down the road from, from Cato uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, challenged the conditions related to uh, the Charter Time Warner merger, what were they challenging? So there were uh, six conditions, I think, total on the merger, and CEI challenged four of them. So including the net neutrality provision about which I spoke. Uh, other conditions that they objected to challenged in court um, were uh, a requirement for build out of services to rural areas and uh, 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 requirement of how these entity, the merged entity would deal with interconnection service providers. And that's a level of nuance that I don't really grasp. Um, leave that for Matthew Feeney, my colleague. Um, however, the point here is CI challenged four conditions total. The case really was about standing, which is the, the CI's, uh, their right to be in court. Ultimately, the court found that CI had standing to bring suit against two of the four conditions that they complained about. Um, unfortunately, one of the conditions that, that they were not entitled to bring suit for was this net neutrality stuff. Nevertheless, um, it's, sort of, it's a very big deal, and this case's lasting effect were it not to be disturbed by the full D.C. Circuit or the Supreme Court, is that it opens the door to the courts for groups like the Competitive Enterprise Institute or other uh, other advocacy groups to challenge these conditions. Um, and, and I should note regarding the, the legal outcome of the case, because the court found standing for CI for two of the four, to challenge two of the four conditions, the Federal Communications Commission, their chairman is now Ajit Pai, who is a longtime prominent opponent to these sorts of merger conditions used by the Federal Communications Commission. The upshot is that under his leadership, 
the FCC did not defend these conditions in any way on the merits before the D.C. Circuit. That's a circuitous way of saying that CI, because they were found to have standing on two of the four conditions, won by default. Um, so that's another positive outcome. I, I'd be remiss if, if I did fail to note here that that wasn't the only positive um, rollback, if you will, of these Obama-era leverage policymaking endeavors. Um, you know, I mentioned it's not just what the D.C. Circuit did in this in CI versus FCC. I also mentioned how the current chairperson of the FCC, Ajit Pai, is a big-time opponent of these sorts of activities. And the, the upshot is, as a result, the FCC is engaged in less of this activity during his stewardship of that agency. And I should mention one other rollback, important rollback. And that was in, in 2017, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions issued a memo that, that prohibits the Department of Justice from signing off on any settlement, enforcement settlement, that entails either funding to third-party groups or effectuates this large-scale policy of the sort I was talking about with um, Volkswagen and the electric vehicle infrastructure. Uh, the upshot is, as a result of that memo, which is still in effect, the, that effectively precludes um, a, a great deal of the leverage policymaking I was, I was discussing earlier when it comes to the enforcement stuff. Going forward then, uh, this was the D.C. Circuit, which is, uh, it, would you say that that's the most important circuit court? The Ninth Circuit is pretty darn important too, <laughs> but okay. they, are, they, they are all important. Okay. So uh, what, what happens going forward? Do other groups begin challenging these kinds of things? Are there some of these types of cases outstanding that are uh, ripe for challenge? Well, so two things on that. One is whether or not CIVFCC, this case I've been talking about, remains law of the circuit before the DC circuit. And, and by that, I mean the full circuit, a three judge panel was the one that considered that particular controversy either on a, a member of the court's own uh, own volition. I mean, so a member, a member of the full court can say, hey, we want to reconsider what, what that panel just did in CI, the FCC. Or the government can uh, petition the court to have the full court consider what the, the three-judge panel did. So it, it's, it's by no means, you know, this is a big deal, a big enough deal whereby it wouldn't shock me if the full court were to rehear um, at CIV FCC. So on the one hand, there's the matter of whether or not it will remain law of the circuit. On the other hand, if it does, then yes, uh, what you said is exactly right. I, th I think it, it, for, it opens the door, um, however slightly, to subsequent challenges, surely to these sorts of FCC merger conditions, I mean, in particular. So yes, that would be a, a sort of the lasting effect uh, isn't necessarily the merits per se. I mean, the Competitive Enterprise Institute didn't ultimately knock out the net neutrality provision. However, it does create this welcome precedent that sub for subsequent FCC conditions imposed on, on mergers uh, will open the door to courts. I should note here, again, the current FCC commissioner, Ajit Pai, is a huge opponent of these things. But as such, there won't be an opportunity to, to, to use this good precedent, uh, well, certainly not within the next uh, six months or whatever. 
Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.